VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Thursday, June the 30th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly. David Williams is producing the program. Let's get it going. If you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue to talk about whatever's on your mind, 273-5211, or elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. So we know we're going to get a visit from the Stanley Cup this coming summer. Of course, Young Newhook has a champion. Probably going to get a look at the Memorial Cup as well. The Memorial Cup is for junior hockey supremacy, and the St. John Sea Dogs won it last night, and one of their assistant coaches, Travis Crickard, from town. So there you go, two of the big ones, maybe make an appearance here. Speaking of Memorial, tomorrow's always such a strange day for me, the 1st of July. A couple of nice things. It's my brother Michael's birthday. Happy birthday, Mike. But in the morning, we commemorate Memorial Day here in this province. And of course... Based on the loss of life, the Newfoundland Regiment and the 1st Battalion of the Essex Group, over the top, 700 over, 68, I think, made answered the call the next morning. So the first day of the Battle of the Simon, we know what that means for this province. And I think it's not overstating to say it changed the course of the province. So many young men lost that never came back. Communities were never the same. Not just the devastation and the grief felt by the families, but it really did change the course of the province with all those young men never to return. So... We commemorate Memorial Day in the morning, and then there will be many Canada Day celebrations in the afternoon. So talk about a mixed bag of emotions. But if you'd like to tell us about what you're doing for either of those events tomorrow, we're happy to take your call on it today. Don't, uh, not in the habit of giving out the old celebrity birthdays, right? Because, you know, it's not an entertainment tonight. But this one has a local connection. It's the 80th birthday of Robert Ballard. Do you know who Robert Ballard is? Oceanographer and shipwreck archaeologist. Of course, on the September the 1st of 1985, Mr. Ballard discovered the wreck of the, uh, the Titanic, 73 years after it sank. I actually had the pleasure to meet Robert Ballard and interview him. He was here at the Marine Institute one time to, I think, open up one of the simulators or something or other. And I was on Out of the Fog. We managed to secure some time with Mr. Ballard. He was a fascinating fellow. Discovered the Titanic, the Lusitania, the Bismarck, the Yorktown, PT-109, that's John Kennedy's patrol boat. So Ballard, 80 years old today, and of course the local connection with the Titanic. Also I'm going to say congratulations to Ross Peters. Ross Peters is a Newfoundlander Labradorian. He's going to be invested into the Order of Canada for his role and contributions in engineering. So apparently talking about his role in education and regulation, advanced profession at the provincial, national, and international levels, Mr. Peters will be invested into the Order of Canada. Congratulations to you, sir. It's quite a, it's quite a thing. All right. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But it seems like it's been a particularly deadly few weeks on the province's highways. So just yesterday, three people were killed in a fiery crash just east of Whitburn. You know, our condolences to the family. We know the two truck drivers that passed away earlier in the week or last week. There's been a string of them. So, you know, the old tagline for the, for the station used to be, you know, arrive a lot. Please be careful out there. It's just such sad stories to hear, and they're becoming more and more frequent. In addition to that, you know, just imagine the first responders, the firefighters, respond to this fiery accident. They douse the flames to fi find three people inside. So the stories are adding up, so please, please be careful out there. And then you get stories where, you know, people really don't think much about their own safety or the safety of those around them. We had three instances early in the week 
where people going in excess of 50 kilometers an hour over the speed limit. Yesterday, the police pulled over a motorcyclist just out by Goobies going 159 kilometers an hour. Seized the bike, license suspended, and, you know, whatever the ticket will eventually be. You know, put that bike in a crusher. You know, we, we talk about the state of the roads and the potholes and the dangers around every corner when you're traveling at such breakneck, reckless, aggressive speeds. Just imagine all you do is hit a rock and you could be, could be the last moment of your life. 159 kilometers an hour on a motorcycle. Boy, oh boy. Price of gas up almost a couple of cents here in town. We know the huge big increase we've seen in parts of Labrador. So diesel down by 3.3 cents. Good news, I suppose. Stove oil down by two or 3.73 cents. Propane up 0.3 cents. PUB in action. All right, so really good news. If everything comes to pass as proposed with the Stephenville Airport and the Diamond Group of companies, you know, I guess we'll all wait and see exactly what happens out there. But if it proceeds as proposed, it's a huge win for the region. Huge. A couple hundred million dollars in, in investments. You know, the massive drones that are going to be constructed out there in Stephenville at the airport. The possibility for a vertiport to be part of the, the offings. So maybe we'll hear from someone on town council. There was some hesitation among some of the councillors, one in particular, Lenny Tiller. But... We spoke with Carl Diamond here yesterday. Sounds like they are on track. He says he's got the capital all organized and secured and ready to go. Construction will happen soon. An interesting note, though, they've already rebranded the airport to be the Stephenville Diamond International Airport. I don't know, is that, does that happen anywhere else? We know that we name airports after notable figures in history, many of them politicians. But anyway, so hopefully that comes and happens exactly as he proposes it to be. Let's stick with the airports for a minute. And I have to say, I'm a bit frustrated here about that kind of stuff today with my travel plans being upended. Whatever's going on is a nightmare for travelers. So now Air Canada is going to cut dozens of daily flights this summer between July and August. Some 77 round trips or 154 flights on average each day will be slashed. Most of that action will take place in some of the major hubs, Toronto and Montreal. But the impact is going to be huge. So whether it be the Arrive Can app or the lack of staff or the lack of preparation by the airport authorities and the airlines themselves, travelers are going to be left in a lurch. So compensation will be afforded based on passenger bills of rights and what have you. But when we have all been eager to get back out there and to do some travel like I'm eager to do, and I know many of you listening will be eager to do, and then it's the confusion. Our good friend Kerry Hodder, who used to work here with us at VOCM, I saw her on social media today saying at the Airport Authority website her flight is cancelled, but she didn't get an email. She doesn't know what's going on. Should I go to the airport? Just imagine how many hundreds of thousands of Canadians are thinking the same thing today. So Transport Minister federally says, well, they've done all they can to get this back in action. Air Canada boss is apologizing for an inconvenience. But if you are traveling with very specific purposes, for a wedding anniversary, a birthday, a reunion, these hiccups are not just minor inconveniences, Monsieur Rousseau, at Air Canada. And it's not just Air Canada, it's WestJet as well. So whatever's going on in the chaos involved, it's in utter disarray. So just imagine, here's where we are. The profitable airlines are forced to slash dozens of flights because they were ill-prepared for people to get back in the skies. Who could have thought that after a couple of years of being grounded that people would be wanting to travel again? You know, people traveled throughout the pandemic, but... Numbers were way off. At one point, Air Canada was saying their numbers are off by almost 90%. 
And now here we are, ready to go, and they're not ready to go. And once again, like the government told us, well, Canadians forgot how to travel. Oh, what bloody nonsense. The airlines and the airports were completely unprepared to get back in the air, but what do we do? And look, it seems like it might not be completely unique to this country, but you'll also see people following up on these social media threads saying, I had nothing but problems at Toronto's Pearson, but then I went to Frankfurt, or I went to Paris, or I went to London, or I went wherever, no problems. No lineups, no delays, no hiccups, no hurdles. But here in this country, nightmare. So if you want to talk about what it's meant for your travel plans, let's go. And, you know, what will the implications be for come home year? I know many of you scoff at the whole concept of come home year, but not if you're in the hospitality and tourism industry. They're banking on a good season this year. But what if people who are planning to travel and are seeing these horrific stories of delays and cancellations say, you know what, maybe it's not worth it. Or maybe their flight that was scheduled to arrive via Air Canada has now been slashed and saying, well, you know what, maybe I just won't go this year. So the implications can be massive. But the frustration is obviously very real. Let's talk about it if you're into it. And of course, you know me, we've talked about anything. This story got a bit of traction here in the province, but I saw it on global news just yesterday. Maybe just looking for some clicky type of news, but it's the upcoming tax on sugary drinks. It kind of went by the wayside, and because it's not here yet, it's scheduled to be implemented in September. The province thinks they'll bring in around $9 million in annual revenue based on the fact that on the 1st of September, an extra 20 cents a liter to all kinds of products, including regular soft drinks, those with added sugar, fruit juices, iced tea, lemonades, sweetened sports and energy drinks, just to name a few. There are some exemptions where people won't be paying the tax on some of the diet products, what have you, but, you know, when people are struggling like the way they are now, the big question will be, whether or not that additional tax will change your the choices that you make when you shop for a drink. Maybe it will, but for some, it just won't. So it'll just be another additional cost. And the government, when they forecast $9 million in revenue, here's the question. What's the revenue today? What are they forecasting for behavioral changes, different decisions being made by customers and consumers? You know, if $9 million means people are still going to do it, the government thinks they will, now, of course, any effort that we can all make to reduce our intake of some of the things which are not exactly healthy for us, fair ball. Then you have to wonder what the impact is going to be on some of the smaller shops. You wonder what the impact will be on jobs at one of the plants, say, for instance, at Browning Harvey. What are those real-life implications? We don't really know. The government says they don't think it'll be too bad, but the government isn't operating those businesses, so they probably don't really know. You want to take it on? Let's go. And this story today, this has been pending for a while. And there are so many people listening to the program this morning that say, well, we simply can't have a ferry to every little island. We simply can't have a road to nowhere. But, of course, if you're a family living in one of these smaller communities, your heart, your family, your attachment to these smaller, sometimes rural, remote uh, communities is very real and should not be diminished. In Galtus, they're going back to another resettlement vote. Now, they've done it in the past. The last time they, d they voted... They, the threshold was then 90%, and they didn't come close. They got 80% who voted to leave. Now they're going back at it, and the percentage has been uh, pardon me, dropped to 75%. So maybe it looks like Galtus might be... Have the people there resettled? You know, the government dangling some $270,000 per household. They're still working on what constitutes residency in Galtus. But, you know, another beautiful little community, possibly... 
at the end of life. And of course, some people uh, on Galtus and Hermitage Bay will be desperate to stay. But these conversations are going to be happening more and more often. You know, the attachment of, for instance, people were in Galtus primarily because of the fishery. So FBI closed their fish plant in 1990. Many people left at that moment in time. And they say the town never recovered. Fish processing shut down for good in 2010. So they'll talk about economy of scale. They'll talk about young people wanting to stay and opportunities for them. So the folks in Galtus, if you are one of the residents on either side of this particular vote, we can and we should be talking about it. And, you know, look, the, again, some of you will say, well, it's time, right? It, it's time. But it's just not that simple. It's just not that, that easy, especially for those, maybe the 10 or 20% who are saying, no, Galtus is my home and I'm going to stay until I'm no longer with us. And then you talk about the fishery. Today at the Delta, there's going to be, uh, I'm pretty sure it's at the Delta, to mark the 30 years since the Cod Moratorium. 1992, tens of thousands of people left the province never to return. So yet another one of those moments in history where the course of the province did indeed change. So if you were someone who wants, wants to take that on, let's go. I wonder how close anybody's following the story regarding the inquiry into the mass shooting massacre in Nova Scotia and the allegations of political interference, Bill Blair in particular, maybe Marco Mendocino as well. For starters, who investigates this after the inquiry is, is uh, closed? You know, it can't be the RCMP, because they're implicated, including the RCMP Commissioner Lucky. It can't be the federal government. They're implicated in it as well. And we need to know, and there should be no political interference in criminal investigations. Of course there shouldn't be. They'll deny it until the cows come home. But even Minister Blair yesterday said, no undue pressures. There should be zero pressures. We shouldn't have to look for an adjective to, to uh, describe the pressure. There should be none. The federal government should stand back and wait for investigations to be concluded. The RCMP and other law enforcement agencies will reveal details when they see fit. So that story, I don't know how much tension it's getting, but it's one that's out there on the national scale, and it's just absolutely no need for anybody. Bill Blair, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister, or Minister Blair, or Minister Mendocino, or anybody else to stuck their nose into that particular investigation. The horror, the horror of 22 people massacred. And of course, the Nova Scotia RCMP, they bungled it as well. So it's hard to know where to turn for info on that front. How are we doing on the phone, Dave? All right, we're on Twitter. We're a VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openline.vocm.com. Oh, I see the first call in the queue. For the first time ever, women rowers are taking on the long course on Kitty Vitty Lake. There was the come home races, come home year races there last weekend, and there was two female crews in race number five. One of them, uh, one of the rowers in one of those crews was Connie Duffett. She was actually wearing her grandfather's 1936 medal when she rode uh, setting and uh, making some history down on Kitty Vitty Lake. Connie Duffett is coming up first after the break, but let's get a tune on the go. You don't see hitchhikers anymore, right? Or very few. Back in 1971, Creedence Clearwater Revival CCR released this single, Sweet Hitchhiker, on Fantasy Records. When we come back, we're speaking with you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Well, a 203-year barrier was smashed this past weekend when two female crews lined up to row the so-called long course on Kitty Vitty Lake, preparing for the St. John, the Royal St. John's Regatta. One of the members of one of the crews, Studio Verso, veteran rower Connie Duffin in her 25th year pulling the oar, joins us on line number one. Good morning, Connie. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you this morning? Very well. How about you? 
great. Really appreciate you making time. So I guess congratulations are in order. Not only did you win the race, but you got a chance to smash that uh, the restriction for females only to row the half course or the short course. Tell us about how long you've been clamoring for the committee to change those rules. Yeah, I think it's um, myself and, and a number of females uh, before my time have been advocating for it. Um, this was a really special year. The regatta committee came fully on board uh, with this, um, I guess, this change, something they had wanted as well in their uh, strategic plan, um, and so special that uh, we made it happen this year for the females to be able to do that, um, especially we've got a female president and female vice president on the Royal St. John's Regatta Committee for the first time um, in history this year as well so that makes it a little extra special as well how was it and now of course you've gone out for uh, rows in the past where you would have taken on the long course what was it like in race pace you know, it was a completely different strategy uh, rowing the long course. Um, your your pace is a little bit uh, slower. You have to pace it differently. Um, but overall, when we uh, went right through those um, those kegs where we normally would turn um, and went back there, our coxswain, who's a female coxswain, said, let's make history. And so it was an amazing feeling. Absolutely. All the way down to the bottom of the pond. Yeah, and I've rowed, and I found it to be one of the most excruciating things I've ever done in my life. I've been in rugby scrums and hockey fights and I thought man there's nothing harder than rowing that particular course and then I read one of your competitors in the other RBC Dominion Securities crew young Kate Kelly at 18 says uh, if I, would, I just thought it was exciting it really wasn't that hard I was thinking what it wasn't that hard who are these people <laughs> anyway you, you know what and I feel like that's the future of the regatta there you know we've got these um, you know, I would consider us more the veteran crew, the older crew, passing that down to that young female crew and for female um, rowers to come. You know, they're all in their late uh, teens. And for them to be able to do that is such an amazing accomplishment. So it was amazing that, you know, the two crews out there, such an age gap. And for future rowers, you know, on our crew, a number of us are mothers. Um, and so really this is about uh, passing that down to uh, future rowers, both male and female, because now the males can also row um, the shorter distance as well. So it's an opportunity for them, uh, for males, to try out a new race category as well. Because, you know, obviously just because of the length of the course, it might, might be a much more attractive option for more men crews to get out there and take on the shorter course because they see the arduous pull that it is to go right to the bottom of the pond. So uh, good on you. And 11.26.47 is a pretty fast time as far as I'm concerned. Did you have a goal in mind? Um, we, di we didn't have a goal in mind at that particular race. Our goal was um, we just felt so honored to be out there. We had wanted to you know, put down in a, you know, a, a fairly um, good time, but no race uh, particular uh, time in mind. And it was a really windy condition. So we all joked before we, we started to line up for the kegs. We said, we're going to find out really how long this is and how difficult the wind conditions can be all the way down there at the bottom of the lake. There's lots of men's crews rowing over 12 minutes. That much I can tell you for sure from a personal experience we just barely broke 12 on race day <laughs> but we were all newbies and you know we, we were pretty proud of it anyway so uh, you've made history which is really cool and we'll see what it means for enrollment for both men and women and how many female crews are wanting to take on the longer course but tell us about wearing your pops 1936 regatta medal that's also a really cool part of the story Yes, um, we definitely have a family history of uh, regatta in our um, 
in our in our line. So I grew up right around uh, Kitty Lake. Uh, my grandfather rode uh, for over 15 years, um, and he um, I uh, wear his regatta medal from 1936 when he won. Um, every time we wait, race, um, and now I've passed that down to my daughters. Both uh, my children row as well, so every time they race, I kind of transfer the medal that I wear to them when they race as well. So it's a very special medal for for our family, um, and we also have a lot of other members in our crew. You know that they've been uh, really involved, and their families are involved. Alyssa Devereaux, um, mm-hmm. who rows on our crew, her um, her mom was in the first female championship race um, ever because there was time when female championship race didn't exist. So she was in, involved in that in the 19 uh, late 1970s, early 80s. So there's a lot of family history of rowing in our in our crew. Uh, the rowing community is special. There's a plans for me and my boys to row together. We couldn't get our act together this year, different travel plans for all three of us, but we're going to do it one of these years. Just talk about the rowing community, because people think, well, you go down, you go for a spin, do some training, you race a couple of times, time trials, what have you, but it's an actual legitimate community. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we call them our, uh, you know, our summer family. Um, people train all year round, um, but people have been down there for, you know, when once you start, I think the love of rowing continues. It is a really tight knit community of rowers, both male and female. Very supportive community, um, and, and people cheer each other on when we, when you know, we cross that finish line. You know, didn't matter what crews, um, all at the top of the pond cheering us on um, when the young female female crew passed by and they finished, you know, clear, cheering everyone on. So it's a very tight-knit community um, and very special. Rowing is very special for uh, for all of us in, in that community. I think it's brilliant. I really appreciate you making time for us this morning, Connie. So congratulations to you and your crew and the RBC Dominion crew and all participants who took on the long course for the first time in 203 years. Fantastic stuff. Great to have you on, Connie. Thanks for the opportunity. Take good care. Bye-bye. Take care now. Bye-bye. There you go. That's good stuff. And, you know, I was a little bit surprised when I had my first go at it. There is an absolute sense of rowing community down there. There really, truly is. It is incredible uh, bit of exercise. And some of those mornings on the pond, you know, we'd be out there really early. We used to row at 5.30 in the morning, which felt like really dragging my you-know-what out of bed to get down there some mornings. But once you got there and peaceful and calm and rowing with the boys and hearing the oars slashing through the water, it was pretty great stuff. Really, really incredible stuff. Anyway, congratulations to Connie and the crew. All right, let's take a break. Stay on task here this morning. When we come back, we're going to talk about the marking 30th anniversary uh, since the, the COD moratorium was imposed back in 1992. And then Woody French is also there to talk about the passenger bill of rights and all the confusion in the air. Let's go for the break. When we come back, we're speaking with you. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Merv, you're on the air. Well, good morning, Patty. Thank you uh, uh, once again for, for putting me on. I want to talk about the, the moratorium story 30 years later, an event that uh, we'll be holding today at the um, at Salon B at the, at the Delta downtown uh, from 1.30 to, uh, to 3.30. Um, but, uh, I want to squeeze as much as I can into a few precious moments that you've given me here on that event. But uh, I had to take a couple of seconds Patty, to, to rejoice the announcement of uh, the, the movement of uh, size restrictions on fishing vessels up to uh, up to 49.11 now. And uh, we've talked about it before. We'll talk about it again. won't get into it there today. But suffice to say that, uh, you know, what, what a perfect illustration 
of how long it took, uh, what a perfect illustration of all the intransigence that we've had to face by the bureaucracy in Ottawa uh, for about four decades to move that common sense item. And so you talk about uh, trying to get moving on cod recovery. And this is, a, I think, a good comparison to illustrate exactly what we're up against there. So you were going to say No, something? you go right ahead, sir. Yeah, okay, um, and very quickly again, on the uh, event this afternoon, and look, we, we have the, bless you for, for uh, mentioning it in your, your preamble, we've got some uh, good publicity on this event uh, from the OCM, of course, starting with yourself and Ryan last Friday, had a good long discussion about, about, the, uh, about what happened in the past. Um, Ryan Cleary, of course, will be hosting today, and uh, Ryan, part of the organization of this event, along with myself and, uh, and Kim, Kimberly uh, uh, Plowman. Uh, Kimberly, of course, uh, was immersed in community uh, Codfree Street in Port and earned her wings there many years ago, currently working with, with the provincial government. I'll be having a few things to say about uh, fishing vessel safety. A lot of dots to, to connect for sure, but I also wanted to mention that uh, that Cloyd Wills, the former uh, Premier, who was then Premier at the time of the announcement of the Cod Moratorium uh, by John Crosby, the then Minister, uh, he was the Premier, of course, from uh, from 1989 to, to 96, went on to be the Supreme uh, Court of Appeal Justice, Chief Justice. Uh, excited to have him. And, of course, um, you know, Chess Crosby will be uh, speaking as well. It was his father, of course, who made that announcement. Um, um, Gus Echegiri, we all know Gus Echegiri, um, Welford Bartlett, uh, was on your show on Monday talking about this event. Um, a long time, many, many decades of attachment to the fish field. He'll, he'll be talking there today as well. Um, also, the... Um, the arts community, um, you know, no shortage of, of commentary uh, and writings and so on in the arts community. Uh, Jim Payne, of course, will be will be uh, performing and singing, the folk singer, very well known in this province. Amy House, uh, Bernie Stapleton um, will be uh, a, a short performance and, and some things to say. Um, Kimberly Oren, uh, a former teacher and now turned a commercial uh, fish harvester and involved with the youth uh, working out of Pity Arbor. We'll be talking uh, Tony uh, Kearney uh, from Conch, a writer, a poet and co-founder of Mortarium. Uh, children uh, formed a social enterprise and involved in sustainable tourism on the Great Northern Peninsula. Uh, oh my, it's such a it's such a wonderful list. Uh, Mike Hearn is uh, there, uh, a fisherman for 60 years uh, out of Pity Arbor, a long line of uh, of, of, uh, of people and family involvement in in the fishery, and uh, so. So you couldn't ask for a better lineup. And look, uh, every the public, we are encouraging the public to come, and of course not to forget to to bring a non-perishable food item. But everybody will get their chance. There'll be an open mic. We want to have some discussion, and yes, we do want to talk in retrospect about uh, this announcement, the effect that it had. But we also want to, you know, create a positive movement forward and uh, and see by. You know, by at least profiling, you know, some of the big issues and some of the stumbling blocks and some of the things that have. You know, turn this uh, 30 uh, so-called two-year moratorium into uh, 30 years, and of course, the uh, cod still in the critical zone. 
you know, we want to see, you know, is, is there some positive uh, things that we can bring out, some resolution, some resolve to see if we can solve this, uh, this uh, darn insidious uh, situation that we're faced with, Hedy? Yeah, fair enough. And I don't know where we go from here. It's always been a real shame that there was no comprehensive stock rebuilding plan put in place immediately after the announcement. It just hasn't happened. Can you imagine? And when you say it out loud, it's kind of staggering. 30 years later, and all we have is still a sentinel fishery. For God. Extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Extraordinary times. You know, they say that at one point when... Uh, people started to fish here hundreds of years ago. You could walk across the strait on the backs of the cod, and now you don't even have a real commercial uh, industry or fishery any longer. Thirty years later, it's something else. Mm-hmm. Merv, I'll give you the last word before I get another caller on. Well, well it is, uh, Patty. And, and look, it's not as if the the the, the frameworks have not been established. Because we, we can we can look to Norway, we can look to Iceland, and they did put the framework in place, and their own uh, fishery was in jeopardy, and now it's it's thriving. So so the benchmarks are there. The scientists uh, out there um, want to get into the names of the, of the people, very reputable people. They understand, and have been trying to bring it to the forefront. So so we we, we can do better. It's not this, it's not as if it's you know rocket science, and and that we can't do better. We can do better final note is like we are launching a petition today as well to declare uh the provincial uh, the, the cod the the, uh, the newfoundland labrador provincial uh, uh fish and you know we we have we have the flower we have the bird we have we have it all but uh, you know the thing that means most to us the cod fishery and the history and the culture the heritage that we have around it uh, we haven't got around to that so we're launching a petition today to be presented in the house of commons and to be presented here in the house of assembly so we want to, i want to get that plug in there appreciate the time Murph. thanks for this thank you so much thank take, you take good care bye-bye all right let's keep rolling here let's go to line number three so with some compensation being demanded by disrupted air travelers woody french is coming up here of course woody's done an awful lot of work about the passenger bill of rights and of course we'll also talk about memorial day and some of the wreath laying ceremonies that woody might be involved with good morning woody french you're on the air good morning patty great to speak to you again happy to have you on sir so what do you make of all the complete and utter disarray in the airports and the airlines across the country well, it's just amazing, and uh, on the news this morning, uh, I heard that Air Canada are going to be cutting out a lot of flights this summer, which is the busiest time of the year. So for travelers, it's going to be certainly um, um, rough, turbulent skies, and um, in some particular cases, it's certainly going to be um, uh, issues with regard to um, compensation that are going to rise and already you've seen that the airlines are blaming the airports the airports are blaming the airlines and they're all blaming the federal government and you you, you comment that everything is in disarray it's certainly not uh, not far from the mark yeah i mean it's, you know and then you see the news like for instance i had a flight today cancelled and we'll leave that aside for a second but air canada slashing dozen, dozens of daily flights you know for me it's a combination of things as if it couldn't have been easily forecasted that when the pandemic began to subside and people have, were wanting to travel we all had these travel vouchers people have felt grounded trying to do some family reunion see your family and friends of course people were going to get up in the skies again it doesn't look like it's happening to the extent that it is anywhere else in the world i have friends of mine that have been to europe they say no lineups no problem no snags arrive back in toronto or montreal or calgary or vancouver and nothing about headaches yeah and um, uh, there's a you know, there's a whole bunch of things, and I think that as the traveling public, we got to be very, very careful, and we got to make sure that we don't let our guard down. Um, it's unfortunate now that when you fly, 
uh, especially if you don't use a travel agent, <clears throat> you're going to have to make sure that you know exactly what it is that you're getting. And then once you get to the airport, then you're going to have to deal with the problems that they have there with regard to security, uh, long lineups, uh, baggage that's getting delayed and, and not being handled properly. And uh, I was in Toronto not too long ago, and the, real, uh, the Peel Regional Police Force on one Saturday were called to the airport five times uh, because of uh, problems between passengers and staff with regard to with regard to travel and re- with regard to baggage. Um, a couple of cautions that I would give the traveling public, and that is, number one, <clears throat> make sure you know exactly what you have. Uh, follow all the rules with regard to getting to the airport on time and all that kind of stuff. Um, and hopefully you'll have an enjoyable flight. But if something goes wrong, then you're going to have to deal with that. Now, we all know from the Airline Passengers Bill of Rights that you're entitled to food vouchers. You're not allowed to be kept on the tarmac too long and the various other things that have come in with the regulations. Some of those regulations have been suspended during the pandemic, but it's still on the books. So my my caution is this. Don't go fighting with the airport staff. That's not going to get you anywhere. Get a name, or if you can't get a name, get a uh, date and time that you uh, were engaged with an employee and make sure you keep that as part of your records. Then follow the procedures. Follow, you know, go along uh, to the airline. Try to resolve it there. If it's not there, go to the Canadian Transportation Agency. But I would also encourage everybody, if you have a problem, keep your MP in the loop. And the reason I say that is that this is federal legislation, and these are the people who administer that legislation, and they're able to uh, probably get some issues resolved for you or at least find out what's going on. The minister is is finally getting uh, aggravated by this because uh, in a statement that I saw in the media, uh, he's pissed off with the airlines because of the way that they're, they're doing business. So obviously he must be getting a lot of complaints. And um, we've got to keep that pressure on. Because remember I, what I told told you when the um, when the legislation came in that in, in effect, I said I hope it's not just words on paper, and that it's going to have some teeth in it. It's going to be enforced and so on. So, as members of the traveling public, you know we have to make sure now that we got our ducks in a row, and uh, not to assume that everything is going to go uh, as it should, and be prepared if these. Um, roadblocks get get thrown up in front of you as you're trying to get from point A to point B. 100%. Woody, before we run out of time here this morning, sir, tell us about the wreath-laying ceremony you're involved with tomorrow. Yeah, it's a very important day for us as Newfoundlanders tomorrow. Uh, we're, um, you know, we're celebrating, or I guess not celebrating is not a correct word, but we're remembering uh, the people of the Royal Newfoundland Regiment that gave up their lives in the First World War and we're always constantly reminded of that when they found remains of and have them identified as uh, Private Lambert, uh, who's, I think, being uh, properly buried today in uh, Belgium. And we urge the public to keep the memory of these people in mind, so it's very important to us as veterans. Come out if you can and celebrate. We're going to be at the Monument of Honour in Conception Bay South. Uh, we're going to be laying wreaths. 
as a matter of fact, after I finish talking to you now, I've got to go to the Legion and and, and help get it um, get it sorted out. And tonight, we're going to a very solemn uh, mess dinner that's held every year uh, on the 30th of, uh, of June to commemorate uh, those, our fallen comrades um, that were lost. And we uh, stick to the model that we have, uh, which is we will remember them. And so I ask everybody to support veterans, uh, remember those that paid the supreme sacrifice, uh, whether it was in war, peacetime, or when, when it's been. Remember those that are serving today and have been deployed in various parts of the world. And remember those that have served. Um, we get this democracy, and we see that democracy is under siege now in different parts of the world. And, um, you know, we got that on the backs of those people that served. And I just encourage everybody to come out. Uh, say hello to us. If you can't make it out, you see a veteran. Thank them for their service. And, um, you know, let's make this uh, a time to remember. We've just come through a, a horrific event with regard to the uh, the COVID uh, blight. And, you know, we really need to uh, get back to what we're doing and throw our support behind our our military veterans. And um, so hopefully tomorrow, if you can come out, come out. And if not, around 11 or 12 o'clock, stop for a moment, remember them, and um, go about your day's work and enjoy Canada Day. And, um, you know, hopefully, Patty, will have lots of opportunities to discuss um, democracy in form like yours. And, um, you know, we get a chance to thank the people that certainly helped make it happen. Appreciate your time this morning, Woody. The story surrounding identifying the remains of Private Lambert is really fascinating. We had uh, Greg Walsh from the rooms on to talk about that. He's being laid to rest today in Belgium with alongside some other unidentified soldiers as well. I uh, appreciate this, Woody. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Patty, and thank you for all your support. Pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, Karen wants to talk about GST. All right, don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Karen. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? I'm very well, thanks for asking. How about you? Not too bad, thank you. Great. Uh, I was wondering if you could answer answer a question for me. Uh, We usually get the GST now the first week in July. Do we still get that now? I don't know any different. So uh, there hasn't been anything said about it wasn't going to be coming out anymore? No, not that I know of. Okay. And one more question. Sure. Uh, the seniors, this 10% that we're supposed to get, yep. can you tell me when that is? July the 5th. July the 5th? Yep. That's okay. for folks on income supplement and those who qualify for the seniors' benefits. So there's about 162,000 Newfoundlanders on income support or that receive an income supplement, and about 50,000 seniors receive the seniors' benefit. It's all based on net family income for the last tax year. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for your trouble. My pleasure, Karen. Thanks for the call. Okay, bye-bye. Take, okay, take care. Bye-bye. All right, there you go. Let's go to line number six. Shirley, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Morning. Um, I would like to put a question out there to uh, all your listeners across this province. Um, I'm wondering, um, do um, uh, the signs I'm in small communities, are the work service and transportation removing them? 
Yeah, Vern called from Belle Island yesterday where it happened in her community. Someone else sent me a picture of a big pile of signs. I can't remember what community it was from, but I just don't get it. Like yeah. some signs are unsightly. I understand. But you know, a small business in a smaller community, you know, with no big advertising budget, these are very fundamental ways to attract people to their shop, their restaurant, their pub, whatever it is they're offering. So I don't know why it seems to be so heavy handed this year. I don't know what's going on. Uh, well, like I, I would like to know, uh, is it going right across this province? Because small businesses are the lifeline of uh, every community. And um, like my sign was one of the ones on that pile that you've seen, Shirley's. And, uh, you know, they went in on my private property, chainsaws, chopped down my sign, removed it. And uh, I was not, absolutely not notified of anything of, in, of this going to be uh, happening to my property. And I, I want answers. I don't blame you. So, Shirley, do you have a business uh, on Bell Island? I have a business on Bell Island. I'm in business uh, as a hairstylist for uh, 44 years. And I paid money for my sign, and I didn't get no grants from government or anyone else to put it there. And uh, it's a totally, totally out, out and left field what this government is doing. They're promoting uh, tourism. Come to Belle Isle and come to any small community and find the little businesses, I suppose, and someone is making birdhouses on the side of the road and selling them. And, uh, you know, but to take down all these signs and employ their workers and a backhoe and everything on Beach Hill uh, and have these these workers uh, be embarrassed to go into their, their community and have the chop down signs on private land that, you know, all the signs going up Beach Hill, they were given permission by uh, by Mr. Jerry DeWire to put the signs on his land. And they went in and uh, they chopped them down. Thank God Jerry wouldn't let him go in with the backhoe and destroy his land. Good for him, you know. But, uh, you know, where's, where's all this going, Patty? Where's it going? I don't know. And we'll try to get some answers about why it seems that this year there's a different feel to these signs being removed. And there's also a fair question to be asked on your behalf, Shirley, as to how they can tell you that you can't have a sign on your own private property advertising your hair salon inside. Exactly. I, I'm not sure that's ever been the case before. No. Hmm, I don't know. And, uh, you, drive, you drive their Paradise Road by No Frills and places like that, Kimmet Road. Is there anything more distracting than those big blow-up things blowing in, in back and forth over the road when you're driving? <laughs> you know? Really. And, and, and now, like, the new signs, the new modern signs of, uh, like, uh, technology with the lights, you know, advertising someone's birthday at, like, a senior citizen's home here on, on, uh, in CBS. Uh, there's flashing signs. So you're driving and you go, oh, my God, look at that big sign. Oh, what's on that? So, you know, uh, if the government comes back and says the signs on Beach Hill were a distraction to drivers, that's, that's pretty lame, isn't it? I think so. There's one of those bright signs on Kemmel Road that is almost blinding. It is wicked bright. Yeah. And I'm yeah, sure it distracts everyone that drives by it. Yes, and, and you know, you're, for a minute you're going to read it. So, like, um, come home here and tourism and uh, I just don't get it. But I would like to hear from uh, some other people across the province and small communities. Uh, are they on the hit list, you know, and make them aware because I certainly was not aware that the sign that I paid for on my private property was going to be chainsawed 
and and thrown in a heap. They never even had the courtesy to just take it down, lay it down on the grass so that I could retrieve it because, you know what, that's going up wherever I want to put it, on my house. And, uh, you know, like, it's, 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 it's not sensible. Not sensible. Yeah, I'm not really following the logic, you know, especially if it's on your own property. It's one thing if it's on a light pole that's owned and maintained exactly. by New Flam Power or the province or the yeah. community. Well, Quite another that if it's inside your fence, you know, yeah. I'm not sure what to say about that, Shirley. Yeah, now, uh, you, you tell me when elections come, uh, where are all those signs, Patty? They are everywhere. They are everywhere. You know, election time. We'll, we'll keep this in mind, won't we? That's an interesting point you make there, but let's put that challenge out. I'm also very curious as to what are they seeing in other smaller communities with the department coming by and taking down small business advertising signs. I just yeah. don't know if I've heard much in the way outside of you and Verna yeah. and one other community. I'm going to have to search my email to find out where it yeah. was. And it was only a couple of signs, but they were, again, they were on the uh, the, uh, the shoulder of the road. So I yeah. kind of get that, but your circumstance is much different. Before we go, how's, how's business? Business is wonderful. I have, uh, you know, after so many years, I have a lot of very devoted clients, and I appreciate them every day. Do you have anyone else working with you, or you one woman shop? No, not now. Not after 44 years. People <laughs> branch out, and uh, it's all is well. I appreciate your time this morning, Shirley. I'll ask those questions on your behalf. Please do. Thank you very much, Patty. You're welcome, Shirley. Take care. Bye. Yeah, I think, you know, not all signs are created equal. If there's one on a light pole, we can have that conversation. If one's on the shoulder of the road, okay. Inside my own private property, I can't put up a sign? Shirley makes an interesting point. No sweat to put up a sign on behest of a politician come election campaign time, but, hmm, how about that? All right, let's take a break for the news. When we come back, you know the deal. We're speaking with you. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the show. Just an update based on a question from Karen a little while ago. So the income supplement benefit and the seniors benefit uh, happening on July the 5th. Same thing for your GST is coming out on the 5th of July. Thanks to Jerry. Let's go. Line number four. John, you're on the air. And how are you today? Not too bad, sir. How about you? I'm pretty good. Anyway, I uh, my well dried up. I'm here on Quitsus Pad. So I phoned the city. And the city told me there's nothing they can do about it. So in other words, we're two seniors here and can't get no water. It don't make sense. And I just wonder if anybody knows anything, what I could do to give me a card. You got my number, right? I do have your number. John, any idea as to why the well went dry? Uh, no, but I don't. Could be anything. Yeah, so with your own personal well, so is it a dog well, a septic well, or pardon me, an artesian well? What do you have? It was a dog well. Okay. Have you ever had any problems like that in the past? No, not since we dug the well. Okay. Well, that's unfortunate. What do you think the city's responsibility should be, or do you think that some city activity has something to do with it? I really don't know, but I really don't know. And I get no, I get no answers from city hall. He says there's nothing they can do for me. Okay. Well, we'll see if we can find some solutions for you, and if we can, I have your number. I'll call you back. All right, listen, if you can call me on this number, my cell phone number is uh, 23... No. 749-5993. Okay, appreciate that, John. Let me see what I can figure out. All right, you have a good day now. You too. Take care. Okay, bye. All right, bye-bye. Um, so, 
So just very quickly on that front, I mean, I read a story in the Los Angeles Times the other day where so many wells on private property are going dry because they're pumping water out of the aquifers, not only groundwater, but right down to the aquifers. And so consequently, it's drying people's wells out in close proximity to them. It's just unbelievable. So you look at some of those reservoirs like Lake Mead and others, they're dry as a bone. All right, so we told you about the story yesterday where there was an event uh, scheduled regarding Pride Month and Week celebrations out in Grand Falls, Windsor. It was a wellness walk. And the Salvation Army Citadel, it, I guess there's two of them out there, they didn't want the participants of, from, from Pride to be on their property. Join us on line number six and seven is Rebecca Blackmore. She's the past chair and current secretary of Pride Grand Falls, Windsor. And Frances Barker, she's the planning committee member for Grand Falls, Windsor Pride. Good morning to you both. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Good morning, Patty. Thanks for having us. Happy to do it. Rebecca, let's start with you. Exactly what was the event? So what it was, I'd like to, to clarify at the onset because I know a lot's been talked about. It's gotten a little convoluted. It was not an event organized by us, um, Pride Grand Falls Windsor. It was something that the Lions Club has been doing. It's a wellness and walking program that they started earlier this month. And they just happened to invite us as their special guests because well, it would have been happening tonight. Today marks the end of Pride Month, so they thought it would be a nice gesture to invite us. And since we are always looking to foster new partnerships, we were glad to come. What happened was um, they rent the facility, they rent space at the Salvation Army Park Street Citadel for, for their walks. What they do is they go for a walk on the trails around the church, then they go inside and use their multi-purpose room to have a snack time. So that's what we were invited along to do. I was going to say which day, but now the days have all become uh, mixed up since this has been going on. But I believe it was Tuesday morning. The um, Lions Club rep who was heading up this program was called into the church for a meeting. And at that time, the um, someone from the church leadership informed him that they, the Lions Club was certainly welcome to go ahead with their walk, but not if we were going to be there. We were not welcome as a pride group to be on their property. How did you find out? We found out by, you know, it was the hard job of that, that um, Lions Club member who had gone out of their way to invite us and set up this this lovely ending to our Pride Month. Um, he actually had to reach out and tell us, and he had to tell us the reason. And, of course, that's what then led to us as an organization having to do a post because we had promoted the um, activity and invited people to join us. So we then had to go onto our Facebook um, page and make a post that, that it was cancelled. So to clarify, the church did not cancel the event. That is true. But they um, they left the Lions Club in a very hard position of having to decide whether to go ahead without us. And I'm happy to say that um, in a great show of allyship, the Lions Club canceled the event on the spot. And I should say postpone, Patty, because we are actually going to um, do this event with them, but at a later date now, once they have a new spot. Fair enough. Uh, Francis, talk about how this throws a wrench into planning, because, you know, people will ask the fundamental question, why do we need Pride Week, Pride Month types of celebrations? Well, this kind of speaks to why we do. So how does this throw a monkey wrench into planning? Well, I mean, this is kind of an example of when we have our potential barriers in terms of what we can plan and where it can be. Um, if we're facing resistance from these organizations, our partnerships with them are quite limited. And there are people in the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community who practice Christianity and are part belong to certain denominations. And if we wanted to partner with those organizations to bring those two groups together, um, that isn't as possible if we have these very callous relationships uh, with these organizations. 
Uh, of course it does. So, you know, I heard someone out with Jerry Lynn Mackey this morning, and their attitude was actually very refreshing, you know, taking it in stride and saying, you know, there's still people out there who, uh, who love you and who accept you and understand you. What does it mean for the overall group, though? Because things like this can be, you know, really disillusioning. Yeah, so, like, um, it really, um, I know when I first uh, read this post, um, I, you know, had this rush of feeling of just, like, you know, it really didn't feel like this was something that came out of this town, out of this community, out of Newfoundland, because it was just something completely out of the ordinary. I mean, it's 2022. I had assumed, and many other people had assumed, that, like, you know, we have resistance every now and then, but for an organization to be this blatant and upfront about this kind of thing, it's not something, I mean, it's something I had never encountered before at least personally. And so um, when this happened, I was really upset and other people felt the same way. Most people feel disillusioned. A lot of people in my generation, my peers feel already quite disillusioned with organizations um, like these. But, and so this kind of just cemented the idea that like, you know, these organizations that say they're here to help, they aren't really here for everyone, or at least this is the message they're sending. So it's going to be up to them now, I guess, to kind of re to do the healing and do the reconciliation with um, our community. Rebecca, what do you think is the next steps here for the conversation? Is it Olive Branch an opportunity to sit face to face and speak with someone from the Salvation Army? Because some people may read this as, you know, now there's people trying to shame the Salvation Army or to belittle the work that they do in the community. What do you think is the next step approach that may may, may bring about positive change? I can tell you that I would be absolutely happy to sit down and speak with anybody. Um, part of what I do in my advocacy is is give sort of, I'm an ally, but I am happy to do that work um, when called on for it to do sort of little 2SL LGBTQ 101 sessions. So any organization that is ever looking to learn a little more, to find out how they could perhaps be a better ally, you know, we're totally open to that. Um, we were never attempting to vilify anybody when, when we made that post we really just stuck to the facts we had an event the event was cancelled and this is why of course we cannot control um, what happens once people start talking about it and I think that there are um, there's a lot to be learned if you visit our page and you see some of the things that people posted in response to our post a lot of people that have um, a lot of pain from their experiences in certain faith-based organizations that were not open to them or supportive of them because of being because of their gender identity or their sexuality and I think it's just maybe it's a chance to shake off some complacency too for us allies who were shocked to hear this who said what that doesn't go on anymore in 2022 you know we don't even some people who wonder why we still need pride organizations at all or rainbow crosswalks I think it goes to show that there there still is there still is black and white thinking and you know if we could all just sort of open open our minds and and understand sort of the beautiful diversity of humanity we're we're different colors we speak different languages and part of that is gender identity and sexual orientation and i think if we could all just meet on that human level that we could really make a lot of progress what does being an ally mean? Because that's always been a little bit of a gray area for so many people, whether it be for women's equality and, and equality and equity, whether it be with the LGBTQ plus community. What does an ally look like? Because it doesn't necessarily mean in my mind, and you set me straight if I'm off track here, like it doesn't mean that I have to wear a rainbow or fly a rainbow flag to be in full support of and understand the issues still facing the community all these years down the road. What does it mean? Give people an idea no. what you define as an ally 
I, I certainly can do that. And you're absolutely right that that you don't have to be wearing a rainbow to be an ally, although it is a beautiful symbol, especially here in rural Newfoundland. When we you know, when people see that, they know that it's a place where there is support to be an ally. To me, one of the most important things is listening. So as an ally myself, I walk the line between not speaking over the voices of the 2SLGBTQ plus community, but also offering my support. For example, um, the last 24 hours or so have been, I'll be frank with you, they've been pretty exhausting and pretty draining. Um, The folks within our Pride Committee who are members of the community themselves, it's been particularly hard on them. It stretched up a lot of difficult feelings. And so this is an example of when, as an ally, I said, you know what, if you need me to step up and go on the radio and speak, I'm happy to. Don't want to talk over your voice, but I'm happy to do it. So I think it's listening, and I think it's showing up. And our Pride organization, we exist to celebrate and advocate for the community. So when something like this happens, we can't be silent about it. Um, we have to stand up for it. That's our mandate. It's what we do. And that's what that's what being an ally is, standing up. Francis, last comment to you. What would you like to say before we say goodbye? I think what I really want to express is um, the fact that, like, you know, I've grown up in Grand Falls Center my entire life, and I, I'm a born and raised Newfoundlander. Um, and, you know, even though that this event, I believe, should never have happened, and I'm sad that it did occur, the support that we have received from our community and beyond is so overwhelming and so heartwarming that it kind of like, I feel as though this is a blessing in disguise in terms, for me, I don't know if anyone else may interpret it that way, but for me, I found that it helped me realize what a great place I live in, in terms of the connections I have and the people who care about us as a community and that people are really saying to this organization and others like them, that this kind of behavior, these kind of decisions and actions are unacceptable in our hometown, they're unacceptable in our region, and they're unacceptable in our province. And that is something that I think is extremely special about Newfoundland. Everyone knows everyone, and everyone here to support one another, no matter what. I appreciate you both making time for the show this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's Rebecca Blackmore and Francis Barker, both members of the Grand Falls Windsor Pride organization. Uh, Let's go ahead and take a break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's try line number two. Barry, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Before we get into what you called about, someone has, or a couple of people actually, been asking me questions about the the issue regarding the recreational food fishery. And you sent me that email from TFO, which I've shared many times. But now someone's adding a different layer of question to it. If I am fishing for someone with a disability, yes. what's the impact there regarding these boat rules? So if there's four of us in the boat... And I'm fishing for someone with a disability. Does that mean we can bring in 25, for instance? Now, Patty, now, Patty that's a legal question, but I will give you my opinion on it. In the past, uh, I, uh, three of us go out in the boat, and I also have a note in my back pocket from a disabled fisher person. When, I, when we come in with the 15 fish in the past, that would be split four ways. So with the disabled fisher person's... Uh, form, if I was only going out by myself, we'll say, then I could come in with 10 fish. So I'm thinking, Patty, with the disabled fisher person's uh, note, uh, the three people go out in the boat, I believe, I believe, Patty, my own opinion is that the boat limit then would be 20 fish. 
Okay, yeah, so, and I don't want to lead anyone astray. I've been answering to them saying, I really don't know, but I'll try to find out. So I'll zip an email along as well to get some confirmation or clarification before someone gets himself in trouble. Anyway, Barry, you didn't call about this. Yes, Paddy, uh, just, uh, the, the food fishery is opening in the weekend. I'd just like to wish everybody a safe and successful season. Uh, a few words from Life Saving Society NL branch is, uh, you know, just make sure that you have your uh, boat in good working order. All the equipment is working. Uh, make sure that you uh, check the weather and monitor it while you're out there. Uh, if there's any deviation, then come on back in. Leave a trip plan with somebody, and uh, if there's any change, let them know immediately. Uh you know, just uh, just be safe out on the water. Don't take any unnecessary chances. We got the whole summer to catch the fish, and uh, you know you don't you don't need to have. There's no need to be going out every day and you know questioning the weather, etc. Our biggest message always, Patty, as you know, is please always wear your life jacket. You should have your life jacket on before you get in the boat and uh, touch at it is zippered up and the straps are tightened so that it is uh, form fitting when you uh, get aboard the boat. Yeah, I'm always struggling as to why or how Transport Canada thinks about this issue. It's mandatory to have a PFD in the boat for every person in the boat, but you don't have to have it on. (laughs) You know, why? Teddy, that's a good observation, and and that is correct and true. And uh, there may be a lobby being started now. I know uh, there's going to be an article coming out on CBC uh, about the uh, life jacket uh, situation. And, uh, you know, I've personally written a couple of emails over the years to Transport Canada and Coast to no avail, of course, and uh, to, to see about getting this life jacket. And, Patty, the, the uh, analogy for the life jacket is the same thing as the seatbelt in your car. Yeah, we all have to have a seatbelt available, but we also have to wear them. So I'm just wondering where the disconnect is there for the, the, uh, the life jacket concern. Patty, I think it's the same thing as when the seatbelt law first came out. Nobody ever wore seatbelts before the law came out, and it was a big transition. I'm not wearing my seatbelt, but now it's second nature. You get in, you clip up, you clip on your seatbelt, and away you go. And that's the same as it would be with the life jacket, I do believe. Yeah, it just brings a little common sense to the regulations as they're currently written. Uh, anything else you want to say this morning, Barry? Yes, Patty. Uh, with concerns with the boat limit, there's quite a big lot of controversy I've stirred up since I uncovered the story two years ago. And uh, we just got the new notification from DFO just uh, this past week, as you indicated, I sent it to you. And uh, I'd just like to say, this is not something that need, that has to be taken advantage of. With the boat, these people say, oh, you're going to pile 10 people into a 12-foot boat. Well, first of all, that is illegal right off the bat because modern-day boats have a capacity plate which gives you the size of the maximum size of the horsepower engine, number total number of people to be aboard. So if your boat only takes three people and you've got five people, you can be charged right off the bat, not to mention you're putting yourself and your crew's lives at risk by doing something uh, unsafe. And just because we can get... Uh, you know, more than 15 fish. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to be going out recruiting people for that. I would say to DFO, who say to us that, you know, if we abuse it, they're going to take it away from us. Well, we're not a bunch of children, and that's what it it makes us sound like. You know, uh, 
But unfortunately, Barry, some people do abuse it. I know it to be true. There's a guy who I know who absolutely abuses the food fishery every single year. So I'll also add to it. TFO in another email sent to one of our listeners said they are they acknowledge the email they sent to you that I've shared, but they're also saying they discourage the, they discourage people going too far, going overboard with this understanding that you will not be charged. But you know the problem with all of these things generally comes back to the same root. If you have folks out there who are willing to abuse the system, the rules will be tighter than they probably need to be. You know, this one guy I know, I tell you, I don't say much to him because it's just no sense. They'll go out a hundred times in 39 days, a hundred. And that's not what it's intended to do. So when people catch wind of those types of things, then all of a sudden the rules are tighter than probably necessary for many people who are not doing anything but trying to get a few cod, a few for the freezer, and a few feeds uh, during the season. So, you know, that's why things end, end up in this place. Well summarized, Patty, well summarized. And I'm not naive to think that doesn't go on. But, uh, you know, with the case that you just stated, I would say uh, one word, crime slappers. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, I appreciate this, Barry. Have a good one. Patty, if I could, just one more sure. thing. I'd like to congratulate Alex Newhook and, uh, and the Colorado Avalanche for winning the Cup. Great job. A really cool thing, Patty, when he brings the Cup home, if you could bring it over to Banyay Elementary. What an inspiration that would be for the school kids, school kids past, present, and future. Don't be surprised. I mean, there probably won't be children in school, obviously, but Alex and Abby have been very good to Vanya. made repeat visits down to talk to the classes and stuff, so they're proud uh, graduates alum of Vanya Elementary, and of course, they don't live too far from there either. I appreciate this, Barry. Have a good one. Thank thank you very much, Patty. It's always a pleasure. Mine. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, uh, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, Sue wants to talk about the boosters. Don't go away. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air. Yes, good morning, Patty, and uh, happy Canada Day for tomorrow. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Same to you. My question is, I've been waiting for months. I guess I'm one of the you know, senior citizens, but under 70, and there's been no sign or talk of when the second booster is going to be available. And I know it's available in other provinces. I actually know of other people that have traveled to go get it. So has anyone from the Department of Health explained why they're not giving them out yet? Not to my knowledge. Uh, you know, generally they've been taking their guidance at Public Health from NACI, the National Association on Immunization. But I don't know why it's different here than it is in other provinces. At this moment in time, if you live in a senior's congregate living facility or you're over 70, you folks who are immunocompromised can get the fourth shot, but not the way they rolled out the third booster. So I don't know what the rationale is, nor do I know when there's an update coming. Yeah, I, I ask at the, you know, okay, I'm always checking on the website. Uh, and there's been nothing, and I've even called, and they said they have no idea. And it's been, they opened that up back, I think it was the first week in April. And I know, like, with everyone who's doing, you know, people are traveling, people are coming home, et cetera, et cetera, uh, why there's not a push to try to get us, you know, start giving the second booster. Anyway, maybe someone from the department can call or if someone knows the answer to that question, I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll try to get the information for you. And I think there's various age groups are asking the exact same question. And it's not a shortage of vaccine doses. That much we know for sure. So we'll see what we can figure out on your behalf, Sue. No problem at all. 
Thanks so much. You're welcome. You too. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, let's keep going. Let's go to line number two. Ryan, you're on the air. Hi, good morning, Patty. How are you? Grant, how about you? Uh, 50-50, just taking care of the wife's honey-do list this morning. <laughs> I'm familiar with it. A mile it. long. I get it. Uh, I was just curious. I know a while ago there was talks about uh, building the tunnel from Newfoundland to Labrador a while ago. I'm just wondering how feasible is it if there's still talks? Like, is it doable? I haven't really heard much on it. Um, the, the fixed link? Yes. Well, I mean, the federal liberals have put it into the hands of the Infrastructure Bank of Canada, and that organization's been a dismal failure up until now. But they've talked about it at their policy conventions. They say they're in support of looking at the viability of, you know, the next steps really are, if there's going to be any serious consideration to ever doing it, you got to go out to the engineering world and see who's interested, what kind of business proposals will, will come along, something akin to the Confederation Bridge, because that's next steps. We know, technically speaking, it can be done. It's whether or not there's a business model and support for it, and whether it be federal monies and or what a tariff might look like to cross on the tunnel. So that's where we need to go if there's ever going to be any more consideration given to it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it'd be nice because it seems like the only way to transport goods here in Newfoundland is through boat or plane. And I mean, I can, especially with the price of fuel nowadays, I can understand it getting quite costly. Hence why inflation is probably so high here in Newfoundland. Yeah, but now let's think that one step further. With the price of diesel, for instance, the extended amount of travel required for a truck to take that route uh, to mm. make their way to the island would be a significant bump in cost and consequently oh. probably much more expensive than what we're doing now when we have the goods come via uh, OceanX or Marine Atlantic. Ah, uh, see, I never thought of it like that either. All right. Well, thank you kindly. I was just curious. Yeah, no, it's still on the radar out there. Like if you go to, uh, if you just Google up Canada's Infrastructure Bank or FixLink and Federal Liberal Policy Convention, you'll see that they've talked about it. They've adopted it. That doesn't mean they're doing anything about it necessarily, but it's on their radar as a nation building exercise, apparently. Okay. Well, hopefully uh, something happens, hopefully sooner than later. You know, at the beginning of this entire Muskrat Falls fiasco, had there been any real thought at that time that there would eventually be a rationale for a fixed link, just imagine what it would have done for cost, even just to have the Labrador Island link for transmission of power involved in it and protected in it versus what we've got going on now. Anyway, too bad that's not fixed either. I appreciate the time this morning, Ryan. (laughs) All right. Thank you kindly. Have a wonderful day. The very same to you. Take care. All right, bye-bye. There we go. Uh, Let's try three. Jerry, you're on the air. Hi, Jerry. Hello, Patty. Yes, sir. Not too bad. How about you? Oh, not too bad, but no, I, I want us to talk about uh, Afghanistan and, and uh, over there in uh, Ukraine, over the wires going on over there. Eh? Afghanistan? Yes. Well, of course, the the Allies have pulled out of Afghanistan at this moment. Yeah, but see, I, I got a, a question to you. Now, did Nader Hoffa stayed over there, the United States, eh? They shot them and killed them and buried them. They'd done everything with them. Now, oh. I know this for sure. Because I had someone was in the war, and I know it. In Afghanistan? Yes, sir, in Afghanistan is right. Okay. So, no, that's like over in Ukraine, eh? No, they're sending all kinds of money in there for, for, the, for, the, for the war and everything. No, there's nothing for over there. Because I, I know all about it. Because I was told all about it. 
be a person who was there uh, in Dean to the war, eh? And uh, was that now uh, this fighting over there all the time and and it's going to accelerate, because we all know that, it's coming to accelerating. And uh, that's like over in Ukraine, same thing. But what I'm saying, I'm trying to say, is that everything is corrupted. And there's only the big shots and the government is doing it. And uh, I know that for sure. And now that's like now uh, the, 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 they're always talking about uh, uh, junk drivers, right? But nothing about the dope. Now, Trudeau brought in the dope. And I know that for sure. And that's who brought in, and he's going to accelerate on that. Trudeau didn't bring no in what. the dope. The dope? Okay. First, first of all, the, 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 what is it you call it now? Uh, 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 wait, no, I'll get it out now in a minute. The, the dope, but like, like, okay, you can go and buy it most anywhere, right? Uh, I'm you ready. can. Yeah, the federal liberal government did legalize cannabis products. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they blame a lot on, on the, the, the drink, drunk drivers. But see, there's, there's not the drunk drivers. Because that's what's doing it. What's They've never obeyed before. And uh, and the, the next time around, you're going to see people cured and everything else. But what are we and talking about now? This is what's doing it because uh, the dope is doing it. The dope is doing what? Cars now are accidents, and there's no one there checking on it. Well, yeah, they do. <laughs> no, I, I don't see it. I, I can't see it. See, I can't see it. But like I said, uh, uh, that's like go over in Afghanistan, why over there hard the time and, and and everything else. But there's nothing for the for the ordinary person. He's drove underground. You, you get what I'm trying to say? Not particularly. No, you don't. You don't want to hear it. Well, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what you're saying. I want to hear whatever you want to offer. So, what what about the ordinary everyday person? If it, the ordinary day, ordinary person every day is drove uh, underground. What what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. Okay. He got nothing. He, he he lived in this world all his life. Say no, he was living there for 70 or 80 years. We just go with it. Because I'm in mean that age. And uh, I never done nothing. I never never said nothing to nobody. But it's um. all blamed on, on the ordinary person. Everything everything is blamed on the ordinary person. Give so, me an example so that I can understand. Well, can, what, what are you being blamed for? We, I just told you. And I'm not going to explain it because I, I know what I'm talking about. And uh, that's like everything else. It's blamed on the ordinary person, which, which it should never be. And uh, that's like no, no the money, uh, 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 first time, time thing in, in, uh, in, in what the government got out for, for 10% or whatever the case may be. I'll have to see it. Yes, sir, I'm going to have to see this. Because I know it's not going to work, see? Because the government controls everything. They tell you when to wear a mask and when not, and everything else. Okay? Thank you, though, and very much. And have a good day, Betty. You too, Jerry. All the best. Okay, thank you, now very much. No problem. Bye-bye. 
Uh, let's see here. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openline at VOCM.com. When we come back, Peter's in the queue to talk about marking the 30 years since the COD moratorium. And the caller on line one has a banking issue. Don't go away. Well, welcome back to the show. Uh, let's go to line number one. Caller, you're on the air. Good day, Mr. Daly. Good day to you. Yeah, I was talking to you there on the 20th month when I had a fraudulent uh, transaction on my bank account there on the 14th of uh, this month. Yes, sir, I remember the call. And I went to the bank today, got my statement up there, and I noticed that uh, they reimbursed me for the amount that was uh, fraudulent to my account. Excellent. And, and it was uh, and, I, and was and it was made at up in Manitoba. Did they tell you like what happened or who's no, to blame or what happened? What, what no, that, that's why I was trying to get some information, madam. Right, the, like I say, I'm on my bank statement there right now, like the branch number where it happened to fraud reimbursement on my statement, the serial number. I said, well, did he uh, give me any more details? Uh, yeah, it was uh, skipped the dishes. Well, that's not very much uh, information for me. It was taken out of my bank account. I said, what about it was $55,000? You still had to give me uh, my reimbursement. Oh, yeah, but what? But you're still not telling me, you know, is it an investigation still ongoing? No, it's not real. So no real information, period? No. Well, I guess, I mean, where does the information or the explanation rank in the priority list for you? Getting the money back or getting an explanation? That's what I mean. Well, the money deposited into my account, well, that's not uh, that's not good enough for me. I want to know where in Manitoba or, you know, where, what bank or what transaction. But to, to me, what you put the money in the bank me in my account, but it doesn't matter if it was 5000 or $10,000. The bank is still liable, but that's, that's still not... Uh, putting we in a safeguard is it no fair enough uh, just for information purposes what would you do with that information if it was given to you is there a step you think you could take to further protect yourself or for the bank to put further protections in place what, what are you going to do with the info if you had it that's what i mean you know because i i i, I can track my i can track my uh, my action on that bank card and I only use it for certain things, and I can track back now everywhere. Everywhere someone picked up my picked up my information when I when I ended when I inserted my card into the, into a transaction machine. Just well, that's all. That's all he got was the number on my bank card yeah. and my expiry date. That's all. That's all it's required. No pin number was used. Just no. Just, I remember that part of it. Yeah, and that's it. But like you say, well. Well, he deposited me money in the bank, but that's still not the, that's, that's still not, not answering our questions that people like myself getting fried. I don't know what, what goes on there either, but if you don't need any of the personal protective uh, stuff that we put in place, like a PIN number, then it's kind of the wild, wild west. Yep. Always man over, so I just wanted to decide to give you a call like, and uh, update you. I appreciate the call. I'm actually going to, I know someone in the banking industry. Maybe they can help me understand how these things happen. I mean, there's a scam around every corner, unfortunately, these days. And how that works inside the formal banking system, I'll see if I can get some info. I haven't seen them around in a while. Maybe I'll just drop them a note. Well, well my God, like you say, you could have kept on adding and taking it out of my bank. <laughs> if, I didn't, if I didn't go, I go once in March, it's, it's an update. Just imagine if, if I never, if they, if they still kept on doing it, you know? Well, yeah, people need to keep an eye on their stuff, whether it be your bills or your bank account, your credit card statements, all of these things, of course, because you just well, never know when, it might, when there might be some shenanigans and money disappears. 
Well, I got my bank card and just wanted to give you an update. That's all. Let them know there's people, there's people like they're doing it. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the update. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you. All right, uh, let's go. Line number two, Peter. You're on the air. Yeah, Patty. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, once again, now uh, I don't know. It'll be the last time, but uh, Peter, do you have me on speakerphone? Yes, I do. If you could take me off, that would be appreciated. Okay, second now. Okay. Okay, how about now, Paddy? I'm on cell phone. That's better. Go right ahead. Uh, I said uh, probably the last time, I'm not sure, but uh, I wanted to speak about uh, the catfish in Newfoundland Labrador and uh, the event that's going ahead today, the anniversary of the, the card there at uh, Delta in St. John's. And, you know, like uh, I've been fishing for quite a while now. And uh, started off fishing cod traps, gilded stuff like that. There wasn't no crab on the go back when I started, but you know, like you, you managed to make some kind of a living. You might have the increased amount of nets, and you might have the increased amount of cod traps, you know, to keep her afloat. But uh, with a few other species, lobster stuff like that, you know, you managed to keep her going. But uh, you know, in uh, 1992, the uh, closed uh, well, uh, we call it the Northeast Coast. And uh, the cod moratorium, and uh, then 1993, around September, I think it was September, August, September, they closed 3PS because uh, it wasn't as bad here as what it was on the on the northeast coast part. And you know, like on the northeast coast, they had the big fleets of raggers and things like that. So you know, we're a little later, but anyway, after a short period of time, it closed over here in 3PS. Our fishery was reopened again. I think it was somewhere around 97. I, I can't be 100% sure right now. Maybe it was 97 that reopened. And, uh, or maybe even earlier. We opened at uh, 10,000. Then we went to 20, and then they gave us 30. And, you know, like, and not only speaking for fisher for 3PS, got there was a lot of overlap licenses coming into 3PS from other areas, 3L, 3K, so forth. And they were hauling 30 nits on St. Parabank for 30,000. Now, that's why I wanted to make a bigger area, because there's no lies in what I'm saying. That's what they were allowed, 30,000, and after hauling 30 nits, what you were allowed at that time, they had their catch. And, you know, like there'd be other people giving other boats, probably now, I'm not 100% sure, but, you know, give people other nits to haul because, like, they're overabundant, they had too much for their hoses, which was the only right thing to do. But anyway, what I'm saying is, then I went uh, back down, and then, uh, well, uh, France came back on stream, and uh, and they started fishing. We don't really don't know. I think it's around 14% uh, France gets. It could be 12, maybe 14 or 15, but in that area, not more than 15. But we really don't know what no fellows catches. I don't know how many Canadian officers are boarding those vessels or anything else. And when... And then the, I think it's 12% the uh, the factory freezer, like Ocean Choice International and like that, uh, they got quote out there. But, you know, whether they go out at 12% of 11,000 uh, tons or 30,000 tons, it doesn't really make no difference. They go there on a time frame, as uh, usually from uh, late November up until uh, the last of February when the fishery closes. So, you know, like the, the, the inshore harvesters, what I'm saying, Penny, the inshore harvesters here in Newfoundland and Labrador got to stop blaming themselves for what's happened to the cat fishery 
because what? it's not the inshore harvesters. It's it's other things, and the government of Newfoundland and Labrador and the FFAW, none of them has addressed it, and none of them has any put any laws in place or done anything to fix the problem. Like you can say on the northeast coast right now, they don't have no draggers. Stocks are rebuilding very slow. They're in the critical zone. And... Uh, Okay, just hold on a second. And, uh, Are you saying that the uh, offshore uh, fleet, they don't have quotas, they just fish for time? Well, yes, they get a certain percentage. They do, but yes. How, if you had 30,000 tons, how could it take three months to fish 30,000 tons? And if you only got 1,000 tons, how could it take the same three months in the western gullies and the, and the southern end of St. Parabank, east or western gullies, to catch the same amount? What I'm saying is, you know, the destruction on the bottom, on the habitat, and everything else is causing a factor in 3PS. There's not the amount of cod that's being taken. And over on the northeast coast, you haven't got no, uh, you haven't got no trawlers over there right now, like inside of 200. But you've got enough of seals over there to make up for 50 trawlers, and the government is not addressing it, and nobody putting any pressure on and, you know, like the Fed said the other day from Newfoundland that they wouldn't vote. They all voted against it, a seal fishery, and I was talking to Keith Bat, and uh, he said, you know, like the planes and helicopters hoovering overhead and stuff like that, and the amount of seals that's out there was never known before. And, you know, like if, if you're not going to do something about it, you know, like just say so and we'll forget it. But if you want to rebuild it, you're going to have to start dealing with the problem. And to deal with the problem here, we have the best kind of a fishery here on TPS. And everybody went out that wanted to go and got their card and more besides. And, you know, like, when this dragger started going back out there again, the same thing all over again. So what the government has and the FFAW has prohibited in the fishery since 1993 is you're only allowed one hook side of a card jigger. That's a lead card jigger. You had to saw off one side. I just had the one hook on the one side. Now, that's a bit mind-boggling this morning for you, Patty, but it's more mind-boggling for somebody that, you know, well, I won't depend on it probably no more in my lifetime, but if things go bad into the fishery, like they have got, and, like, you know, like the... Well, the cape is down now and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I was going to add to this. It's not just, and I've never heard an inshore harvester blame his or herself for the God moratorium. That's the first I heard of that. But it's not just one thing, is it? And there's some things that are kind of out of everybody's control, you know, for immediate concerns anyway. So it might have something to do with, see- well, let's include all of them. So seals and forage fish and sea ice and sunlight and phytoplankton and warming waters and all the different type of gear that's been dragging the bottom all of these things in conjunction lead to why, where we are why, and why we're here, right? Well, yes, it's, it's to, a, to a certain extent, yes, yes, you are right. But if anybody is not going in the government, that's not going to address, and the plan that was put forward to, ad- to deal with the seal wouldn't satisfactory to the federal government of Newfoundland and Labrador, or the uh, federal government, yeah, of Newfoundland and Labrador, too, but they all vote against us. Well, come up with a plan and deal with the problem and stop the 
the offshore dragging in three PS. Because they'll be with for another three months again this year for a very, very small quota. So, you know, what they're taking, the destruction, like I said before, same as putting the dozer out in your backyard for three months going back and forth. You know, like, because uh, you're not going to hang around with that, that kind of thing. But, but what I want to really say, there's a problem why our fishery is in the states of it in, and it's the federal government, it's the provincial government, and it's the FFAW letting people do what should not be done, and that includes France. You know, nobody knows how much fish to be landed in France. Uh, that's the same pair. And then outside, you've got someone, ambassador, that goes over here. Like, uh, Sullivan, that's just one of the ambassador's order. And after all said and done, we got a Newfoundland ambassador to the UN. And when he comes back, you got uh, Japanese boats that could come in and go drag uh, drag turbot and inland waters here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Yeah, uh, uh, there's a Newfoundland ambassador to the UN. What does that mean, uh, Peter? Well, that's the one that's supposed to be representing Canada. I never said I, I said Newfoundland. I'm sorry. Oh no, I'm just trying to make sure I understand what's no, going on. Uh, Canada. I guess every country has someone on that board. Yeah, right? uh, Bob Ray is Canada's well, ambassador to the UN. Rather than give it away. And it seems like we're giving away a lot more than we're receiving. You know, like if we got to sell a pound of nickel and give away fish in order to get that nickel, I'm just saying, for instance, I'm not saying that's the case. But when it comes to trade, you know, if they got to drag more fish outside the 200 mile limit in order for that to happen, because we got Spain, Portugal, and so on out there now, and it seems like it's nonstop for them fellas. But in here, the Newfoundland fishery here in Atlantic Canada get nothing to catch. Yeah. And when it goes down to the okay. eastern and western gullies in GPS, there's basically nothing left down there for the fellas that fish down there, like hake, skate, and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing left down there. So, you know what I mean? If you're not going to address the problem and deal with it, I don't see that the sense in, in continuing on. Well, you, you certainly okay, hold on, Peter. Peter, how much fish is down there? Science says in the critical zone. I'm sorry. Uh, if the country had more of a percentage of different species versus the amount of species that have been diplomatically delivered to uh, other countries, we'd be better off, even if we didn't have firm rebuilding plans. Last comment for me, then I'll give you 10 seconds to wrap it up. Uh, the St. Pierre and they actually have a commercial salmon quota as well. We don't. There hasn't been one here in decades. There was a relationship with Greenland where they totally abused and botched the approach to salmon and other species as well. So St. Pierre, and it's a small quota, but I think it's maybe 5,000 pounds or something in that neighborhood. But we haven't had an industrial or a wild salmon fishery for decades. Last word quickly, Peter, before I have to go. Well, with the exception of the indigenous, no prejudice intended, and Labrador, they can catch salmon when they want to, but we're dragging them ashore and letting them go. So, I mean, how many times can you do that with a pregnant salmon and all the babies are going to live? Anyway, Patty, thanks for taking me, Carl. I'm going somewhere else now, again, as usual. But uh, what I am saying is, if government is not going to take this seriously, and, and the FFAW, and the federal and provincial government, that's what I meant, if they're not going to take it seriously and deal with the problem, 
it's not going to get no better. It's just going to get worse. Thank you, and have a good day. You too. Bye-bye, Peter. Uh, yeah, the bycatch issue was just completely ridiculous. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, still plenty of time to speak with you. Don't go away. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back. Let's go to line number three. Say good morning to writer and director Kyle McDavid. Hi, Kyle. You're on the air. Hi, how are you? Doing awesome. How about you? I'm doing great. Thanks for, for having me. Happy to have you on. So uh, tell us about Sidewalk to Andyline and how Shalloway has a neurodiverse ensemble. Yeah, so um, uh, about four or five years ago, I believe, um, Shalloway decided um, to start a um, neurodiverse choir within their choir. So Shalloway is the umbrella name for uh, various choirs of different age groups. So um, they called the neurodiverse group is called Lauda, L-A-U-D-A. And it's made up of basically um, a huge range of kids uh, that have various neurodiversities as well as some neurotypical kids are also part of it. Um, So a neurodiversity could mean that a child is living with autism or Down syndrome or various things like that. Um, and they've been performing uh, for quite a few years now at, at Shalloway's concert. Um, and basically it's a, it's a great model of inclusion, um, giving the same opportunities that others get to, the, to that, um, that group of people. So um, just before the pandemic, um, started, Kelly Walsh, who's the artistic director of Shalloway, approached me about writing um, a a kids musical for, specifically for Lauda. Uh, So that, uh, I started working on that. And then, um, of course, because of the pandemic, there's been some delays and we've tried to do rehearsals over Zoom, which is very difficult for for music because of the time delay. and last year we did a, a reading for the parents and families of the show, and we're finally uh, putting putting it on stage at the Arts and Culture Center. And we're, we open next week, July eighth, to have a performance on the eighth at seven p.m. And then July 9th, we have two shows. The first one is a matinee at two a.m. <laughs> not two a.m. two p.m. Uh, and that's a relaxed, sensory-friendly performance, which means um, with various. Um, accommodations happening. For example, uh, the lighting in the theater itself will be raised a bit, so it won't be in complete darkness. Um, we'll be adjusting the, the brightness of the lights and the sound. Um, we'll have a dedicated quiet space outside of the theater for anyone that feels they need to and uh, leave to have some quiet time and come back, um, and some other things as well. And then we'll be doing our closing night performance that night at 7 p.m., the kids are very excited to finally put this on stage. <laughs> have you, before we get into the synopsis or the storyline for Sidewalk Dandelion, have you yeah. test-driven this neurodiverse ensemble and how people react, whether they be on the spectrum or others or other issues that you spoke to already? Mm-hmm. Um, we have, I've only been involved in Lauda since, uh, for the past two years, but um, Kelly and their amazing team which includes a music therapist, um, an education professor at Munn, as well as music teachers. Um, they've been, yes, the kids have been performing for a few years at concerts. Uh, and we've, I think I can speak for the whole team 
and saying that we learn just as much as the kids. Um, it's been such an amazing eye-opening experience uh, and so enriching for both sides, for the faculty and the choristers, I would say. Terrific. Talk us through the story of Sidewalk Dandelion. Sure. So the overall concept of the show is that there is a young girl, a young neurodiverse girl who is celebrating her 14th birthday. Her sister, uh, sorry, the, the girl has become enamored with gardening and plants because of a teacher at her school that uh, leads a gardening club. And because of her um, love of gardening, her, her sister, her older sister decides to build her her own garden in her backyard. So that's in the opening scene. All of her friends are coming to the party to bring uh, and they're all bringing plants in lieu of gifts. Then, um, in true musical theater fashion, all of the plants and flowers spring to life, and they all have quirky characters, and uh, they all sing different music styles. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, one of the plants, they aren't sure what it is, uh, and they need to figure out how to take care of it. Uh, and the overall, I guess, metaphor, you could say, of the show is that we tend to, um, people that that are into gardening, we tend to um, take care of plants and look at their individual needs. So we'll say, okay, this certain flower or plant needs more water. This one needs less sunlight. This one thrives indoors. This one doesn't like to be in, in direct sunlight or things like that. And there's books written about it, and we, we take some such good, precise care for their individual needs, whereas we don't necessarily do that for uh, humans. We tend to set the bar a certain way and then ev treat everyone the same. Obviously, not always, but, but um, the overall idea is that it's, uh, we can take care of each other's needs um, individually rather than trying to expect the same from every different group because a neurodiverse child may see the world in certain different ways they may be more sensitive to some things they may be outstanding at other things um so yeah i think it's an important uh distinction and it's actually interesting that this has all happened during a pandemic i think because i think we've all sort of been forced to take care of each other and think about our neighbors, which is why we wear masks or why we uh, were social distancing for so long. Uh, I think it's important to, it's an important lesson to take care of each other. Yeah. Uh, listen, I, I, I like that summary uh, point that you make there. So Sidewalk to Andy Line mm -hmm. is going to be at the St. John's Arts and Cultural Center July 8th and 9th. Showtime's at 7 p.m. Saturday, uh, a matinee at 2 p.m. Saturday, July the 9th. And just mm -hmm. from my old Out of the Fog days, I remember the box office number, 729-3900. <laughs> or you can just go to artsandculturecenter.com. For more information from Shalloway themselves, you can also reach out to that organization if you are so inclined as well. I appreciate this. Anything else you'd like to say? Uh, no, I don't think so. I just um, I would love for there to be big audiences. These kids have been working for two years pretty much on this, and I think it's going to be an incredible experience for them. It already has been an incredible experience, um, but for them to stand on that stage in the light and have the audience roaring with applause will be a magical moment, I think. <laughs> Break a leg, Kyle. Thanks for this. Thank you so much. Take good care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.
All right, uh, let's go and take a break. When we come back, we're going to speak with an expert in the world of the airline industry, the chaos, the utter disarray that Canadian airports find themselves in, dozens of Air Canada flights to be slashed through July and August, flight cancellations affecting yours truly today. John Graddock, right after the break, don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Join us on line number seven is a faculty lecturer at the School of Continuing Studies at one of the most prestigious universities in Canada. That's at McGill University. Good morning, John Graddock. You're on the air. Thank you. How are you this morning? Very well. Thanks for asking. How about you, sir? Not bad. Not bad. Thank you. It's a busy morning. No doubt it is, given the confusion and the chaos in the airline industry. So we were told, and the airlines told us, that once the vaccine mandate goes away and random questions and random testing, all will be solved. Turns out that's not true. Where do you point your expert finger of so-called blame? Oh, I think the airlines basically have taken some responsibility. We see last night Air Canada starting to peel back its schedule. And really, that's the genesis of this problem. The problem is they decided to, uh, to fly a whole bunch of airplanes and starting in, you know, in the beginning of June because everybody wants to fly. Everybody wants to get, get out of town. And the opportunity was there for them to start making money and to uh, get planes to be full. And guess what? That happened. And now they're paying the price for all that schedule. So, you know, Mr. Russo at Air Canada says, regrettably, things are not as business as usual in our industry. What needs to be done? Because the Transport Canada, pardon me, the Minister of Transport federally says, the government's done all they can do to put the place back into some working order. What needs to be done, John? Well, I think that, you know, Mr. Russo basically has come to the realization over the last couple of weeks, if not months, that, you know, the airlines really have a role to play in reducing the uh, the saturation that seems to be occurring at airports like Montreal and Pearson. That, you know, it really is those passengers that show up to get displaced to get, you know, the, you know inconvenienced at the airport are not coming there out of their own volition. They're there because the airline sold them a seat and you have to be at the airport to catch a flight at this time. So all of those passengers that show up uh, are there because of, the, of an airline's um, schedule that's been offered, the seats have been sold, Book trips have been booked, and uh, you know they have they have nobody to blame but themselves. To your knowledge, is this happening in other parts of the world? Because friends of mine that have been in Europe say no such thing, no lines, no problems, no hiccups, no hurdles. United States seems to be pretty normal as well. Are we alone in this? No, we're not. I think that you know the, the what we're seeing is a phenomenon at the major hubs around the world. That you know Montreal and Toronto happen to be the major hubs for Air, for Air Canada and for. Uh, WestJet to fly internationally. And so what's happening is that if you look at other hubs around the world, we're looking at Frankfurt, Paris, Amsterdam, London, um, they're all in a situation where they've had some uh, horrendous lineups. If you look at you know, video this morning out of London, England, out of Heathrow, um, the airport authorities, the, the civil aviation authorities in the UK have given an edict to the airlines to cut 30 flights as of today. And that's, you know, on short notice. Like this morning, you have to cut the flights this afternoon. So it, it really is a global phenomenon. And reason why? Staffing. It's really a question of staffing. It's a question of making sure that, you know, you had enough people at the airport work, work, working for the airline as well as working for the airports that can handle the volume of flights that the airlines were proposing to fly. And it's very obvious to me and now being much more obvious to Mr. Russo that they blew it. That they had, they put too many, too much, too much flights, too many flights, too much capacity, and then they're not cutting back. The airline airline travel is more expensive than ever, and of course, with the numbers off as far as they were during the pandemic, obviously, as as you mentioned, Air Canada says, well, here's a chance to make some money with the reduction in the number of flights, Air Canada and others. What do you think that's going to mean for the price to travel? 
oh, it's not going to get any cheaper for a while yet. And I think, you know, we're looking for it. The summer is going to be pretty pretty highly priced, you know, July and August. Uh, we're going to, you know, have prices that we can compare it back to what the, the fares were back in, in January or February of this year. Uh, you know, you're looking at double, if not triple, the prices for flying in July and August. So to go from St. John's to Toronto, uh, on, you know, it, it'll go from 120 bucks right to 600 dollars one way. So it, it is it is going to be a very very expensive summer. We won't see any relief until the fall, until the school comes back and kids come back to come back home, uh, and you've done your visits to your grandparents or gone to to Venice or gone to Paris or gone to London, uh, and we get back to a more normal sense of demand. So you're going to be in this situation for the next couple of months. What does competition have to do with it? Because, you know, in other countries, the competition has kept air travel reasonably priced. In this country, we have some low-cost or no-frill airlines, the links and swoops of the world. But there has to be a significant percentage of Canadian ownership in an airline to have access to Canadian routes. What would have to change on that front? Because the more airlines out there, right now, if someone gets in the business, Air Canada, WestJet can crush them with some seat sales that very quickly they can't manage. What needs to be done to increase competition? Well, I think that you've seen over the last year and a half, two years, carriers like Flares and, and Lynx, you know, start up in the Canadian low-cost marketplace. And so they have been able to, in fact, do something in terms of trying to get some, some presence in the Canadian market. Um, you know, is it enough? I don't know. But right now, Lynx and Flare, as well as Porter, you know, I've made plans to bring another 100 airplanes into the Canadian marketplace. So I think that... The Canadian marketplace, Canadian carriers are going to be putting a lot more capacity in the marketplace. And yes, there will be, you know, fair offerings. Probably won't be in July and August. Probably won't be around Christmas. But if you want to fly the off-peak, want to fly in January, fly February, fly November, you'll have lots of seat sales available to you then. Yeah, Lynx made its first flight from St. John's to Toronto just yesterday at 5.30 p.m. Uh, John, what was the outcome of... uh, Going from a nationalized airline at Air Canada to privatizing it, there's even some talk about nationalizing some of these companies again. What would that mean? <laughs> It'll be chaos in the marketplace. I think sure. that you know the the the, the airline industry, um, you know, has learned a lot since the, you know I was part of the Air Canada organization when we got deregulated back in the mid '80s, and you know, so the, the behavior of Air Canada as a regulated airline, government-owned versus the Air Canada of today. Um, it is very different. You know, as a regulated airline, uh, you know, pricing was really at the behest of the government. The government really controlled the prices. It wasn't the airline. And so the era of seat sales was very, very restricted, was very, very different. Since deregulation, since privatization, uh, you know, we now have, you know, guys like Lynx that come into to to St. John's and, you know, operate flights at 99 bucks. And you know that that would be unheard of in a in a regulated environment. So just you know, don't be careful what you wish for because it could be pretty nasty in terms of the availability of cheap fares. Yeah, that's all we need is more chaos. Uh, John, really appreciate making time for us this morning. Thank you. My pleasure. Have a great day. Take care. You too. That's John Graddock. He's a lecturer in the School of Continuing Studies at McGill University. Let's take a break for the newscast. When we come back, we're speaking with you. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Quick one here on five. Eleanor, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. How you doing? Doing okay. How about you? 
Uh, doing all right. I was uh, just noticing that one of your earlier guests there, Kyle, was talking about the Shalloway Choir, and uh, coincidentally, my young, lovely sister, Jessie Power, happens to be uh, uh, alumni of Shalloway Choir herself, and she also helps out with the Shalloway Kids Choir uh, these days, and she's a music therapist, so for sure... Uh, it is something that she demonstrates and that she sees all the time that music is really such a gift for everybody. So, so good for the brain. And she has a background of working in um, long-term care facilities with people with Alzheimer's and dementia. So what she finds is that people who start music early in their life, uh, that's a gift that continues giving, even as the brain has some uh, deterioration sometimes later in life. And uh, we we saw that yesterday uh, in my family because uh, my grandmother, Kitty Power, turned 104 yesterday, Patty, and she is still playing piano to this day. Very cool. Happy yeah, birthday. Well, happy birthday to my nan, yeah, for sure. We had, we had a lovely celebration with her yesterday. And just to tie that in, one of the places that you might hear some live music uh, this summer and you can come and make some music with us uh, at Manuel's River is on Thursday evenings. Uh, each Thursday in July and August, we will have a free community campfire and sing-along. So you're welcome to bring instruments if you have them. And we'll usually just do a f some fun campfire songs that we encourage everybody to sing, uh, whether or not you're formally in a choir or you consider yourself officially a singer. Um, my sister always says anybody can learn to sing, and you gotta you got to just give it a shot to to get the the voice going there so that's something we're we're looking forward to this summer uh bringing our, our community campfires back every thursday at seven o'clock for free and in addition we have another free map program that's going to be going on on monday afternoons from three o'clock to four thirty. thanks to the funding from the come home year crowd we've got uh the ability to offer our giant floor map of newfoundland and labrador uh to everyone so you come and wear your wackiest pair of socks you kick off your shoes and you get to walk uh the map with us and see our fantastic province and all kinds of features of water and land that surround us some of our neighboring provinces and countries and it's really a great experience a great way to learn about the province whether you're from here and you think you know it well you don't know it until you been on it or whether you're not from here maybe you're just visiting but you want to learn a little bit more about it it's a great way to do that and we will also have a couple of other things happening like we've got a new toddler program happening every sec second wednesday morning from uh, 10 to 11 out on our trails that's called trail tots for children ages two to four and their family members and we're going to be having outdoor movies all summer long um on Thursday evenings after dark uh, outside. We've got a big giant movie screen, so you can check out our website and our social media at manualsriver.ca and also at Manuals River on all those favorite channels like uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that you'll note is that uh, if you want to join us for a trail tour, we have trail tours running 
every day uh, during the summer months of July and August, twice a day. Uh, those will be at 10:30 and 2 o'clock. You can come and check out our fantastic fossil site, and we'll have exhibit tours running uh, at set times throughout the day, each day as well. We're open seven days a week all summer, so we're shaping up to have a really busy-looking summer. We've got our camp, summer camps, science camps, and leadership camps starting next week, so our registration for that is ongoing, and we're looking forward to welcoming back some of our old favorite campers and some new campers this year too so we're really excited about all of that and uh if if you want uh patty to let anyone know how they can get involved they can check us out online they can drop by the center uh seven conception bay highway they can give us a call at 834-2099 if they have any questions and one way you can definitely help out and support is uh to contribute to our annual fundraiser which is our bobber race and we used to have a physical race out on the river of little bobbers that used to float down over the river but we've since uh, the pandemic changed now to um, an online 50-50 lottery. So you can go to manualsriver.ca or you can go to bobberrace5050.com to purchase your tickets. And the race portion of the fundraiser right now is that there's only a limited number of tickets that will be sold in the province and you want to hurry up and get them before they're all gone. So... A good idea, I think, if you're going to be buying a ticket anyways, is to try and get in for a little extra chance to win um, by buying your ticket early. There is an early bird prize. So if you want to get in on that early bird prize, you need to get your ticket by July 12th. So just about 12 more days left on that. And the prize for the early bird draw uh, that's happening the 22nd of July will be either your choice of five thousand dollars cash which i'm sure you could think of lots of ways uh to make use of or uh, you could choose a mini manual greenhouse that's built by sun valley greenhouses and that one is valued at over seven thousand dollars which is a really nice thing to add to your garden uh this summer and then if you don't make it for the early bird, the tickets will still be on sale uh, for the big draw of half of the pot, whatever we raise this summer, uh, throughout the rest of the summer. But I just think if you're going to go in anyways, you might as well get in for two prizes rather than just one. Why wouldn't you? Good luck with all of it, Eleanor. Thanks for this this morning. That's wonderful. Thank you, Patty. And a happy Canada Day and happy and safe long weekend, everybody. Same to you. Thanks, Eleanor. Thank you. All right. You bye-bye. Uh, let's go to line number one. Chris, you're on the air. Chris, on line number one, you're on the air. Hello, Patty. How are you? Best kind. How about you, sir? Uh, Patty, I uh, want to congratulate you by, on taking the Colorado Avalanche for the family help because you mentioned that a few weeks ago. And I also want to congratulate uh, Newhook on his two assists and his great play during the playoffs. But one thing, Patty, uh, uh, I thought that uh, McDavid should have gotten the Hart Trophy. I don't know that, about you now because he had the most points during the playoffs. But anyway, what do you think of that? You think McDavid should have won the Hart? Or pardon me, the regular season Hart Trophy MVP? Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? I don't think he could have gone wrong with McDavid or with Austin Matthews. I mean, Matthews is just a tremendous player. McDavid got more first place votes. But Matthews, yeah. it's kind of hard to deny. You know, people are are captivated by the goal scoring. Scoring 60-plus goals, first time a Leaf has ever done it. I don't think he can go yeah, wrong picking either yeah. one of them. Yes, but Patty, now why I called you today, uh, I got a, a couple of phone calls about the roads between Peters River and St. Shots during the deplorable state 
apparently uh, the shoulder of the road is washed out. The guardrails are over the bank. So I'm calling out to our provincial government today to get out there and send someone out there. And also, Petty, today we have a meeting down at uh, the Delta at 1.30 about the fishery. I was down there when Walter Carter and John Crosby and them were there. I was in the room, actually. And when they gave out the piece of paper that they were closing the fishery and, uh, and how much money we were going to get, I took it and I went out in the other room. And I gave it to a lot of the fishermen out there. And, of course, back then, 30 years ago, a lot of the fishermen couldn't read that well. But anyway, when they found out... Uh, what was in that paper. Then they tried to get into the building. But, Paddy, like, we're in a tremendous state here, and people are calling open line, trying to figure out how we're going to solve the problems. Well, I've been thinking about it for months myself, and uh, I did not want to get involved in politics anymore after I left it. My father told me before he passed away, he said, when you get selected, he said, you go on and talk about politics. Until then, he said, stay off the open line or wherever. But to me, I think I need to speak out today to the federal government to come here with the army and to help the people that are sick and need operations. And also, Paddy, if they don't act soon, right, we must do something. Now, about the meeting down there today, I'm asking them people down there today to ask the federal government to give us 2% at a 200-mile limit we can go out and fish in the safe days, whether it be spring, fall, winter, or summer. 30 years ago, we didn't go out and clean the oceans. We only went out and got enough to fill our freezers for the winter. So if this don't happen soon, maybe we should talk about a referendum like Quebec. And maybe we should go back to 49 and to see if the United States will accept us or some country that will care about the people in Newfoundland. Now, I don't have a problem with any, bringing anybody here because as far as I'm concerned, all of us are immigrants, one way or the other. We all came across the ocean. Now, I don't know what your opinion on this is, but you're welcome to give me some feedback on it, Patty. Sure. Well, we certainly are in no position to stand alone. Uh, that's for sure. Regardless no. of people think if we belong in as a yeah. member of uh, the Confederation of Canada, which I, I do believe we still do belong there. But just let me yeah. ask you a quick question. 2% of the 200-mile limit, I'm just not sure what you meant by that. Well, that's only two miles. We have a 200-mile oh, limit here. Okay. Right? I know I get it. Right? Yeah. And that's all I'm asking for is two miles where we can go out off of the shores of Newfoundland and Labrador and get some healthy protein because Newfoundland and Labradorians are starving to death, Patty, and there's not enough people coming on your show and talking about it. It's time we stood up and did something. You know, we just can't take this much longer. I mean, years ago, Patty, in 1999, when they put the gas prices up, I drove Tobin and Grimes from the airport, and I told them, how, 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 to, uh, how to solve this problem. I said to him, I said, you're going to have to put the gas up. I said, sure. I said, to get some revenue. But I said, you're also going to have to drop it down for the poor people so they can go fill up their tanks. 
And as a matter of fact, the truckers, Patty, went on strike back then, and they asked me who would be responsible for the food that's in the trucks if it went bad. And I told them, I said, if it's on Newfoundland soil, buddy, I said, we're responsible for it, and we're going to pay for it. And not only that did I speak to them, I spoke to them about taking the religion out of the schools. I said, listen, boys, I said, in 20 years' time, I said, they'll be going around shooting and stabbing one another around here because, I said, they'll have no fear. When we grew up, Patty, you and me, we had lots of fear, buddy, and the fear was driven into us by, by, by our elders. And that's what the problem is today, right? But what would religion the, the in the children school... Children growing up today got no fear, brother. Yeah, but what would that have to do with religion in the school, though? Well, we were taught... We, we, were, we, we, we were taught how, how uh, to uh, obey, and if we didn't live a righteous life, Patty, you know, well, the jail was our next, or worse, we could be killed. And of course, when, when you grow up, you, uh, uh, with whether, whatever faith you are, you're taught the rules of life, you're taught respect, you're taught how to, you know, treat people kind, no matter what color, what race, where they come from. But it seems after they took that out of, out of, out of the schools, like, it seems to me like people just went about their own business. And as a matter of fact, it's proven today, Paddy, because there's only about 30 or 40% of the people go to church, and we're supposed to believe in what we were told by our ancestors and so forth. And I don't think that's being taught today, my friends. I'm not sure. Uh, but just because of the time on the clock, we'll have to say goodbye for today, Chris, but I appreciate your time. All the best to you, Paddy, and have a good summer. Thanks, man. You too. Bye-bye. All right, final break of the morning. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Let's go to line number three. Boyd, you're on the air. Good morning, Paddy. How are you today? Great, sir. How are you? Uh, fine, thank you. Well, just very quickly, Paddy, I want to call in about the government rate of 23.75 for particularly personal care homes because we're the lowest paid of anything anyway when it comes to the government. It uh, doesn't matter the government over the years. It's been years now since we've had an increase. And if you want to break down the rate of 23.75, it, it filters down to basically $3.29 an hour that we get from the provincial government to do what we have to do in the care of seniors, everything from A to Z, recognizing that the lion's share of payment, like in this regard, is federal money anyway with OAS and CPP checks. Now, I've talked to the member for the area. I've talked to the health critic uh, occasionally. Uh, call back. Nobody ever gets back to me. And I, my question has always been, why is it that they don't speak up about this in their capacity uh, and the shamefulness of the fact that a personal care home, in the way things are today, and we have to do everything from A to Z, and I don't have to tell you what's involved with trying to operate a business and everything comes under that $3.29 an hour. And so this is federal tra it's government transfer money directly to the owner-operators of the home. Are the residents, what are the residents paying on top of that? Well, the government rate, they're not paying anything on top of that. Now, some homes, you're, up, you're not wrong in what you're saying. There are definitely homes, and I can't speak to it, but everybody knows that there are homes that are charging more money. Actually, I seen a sign the other day for one of the bigger homes. Can't exactly remember the wording of it, but something to the effect that uh, uh, accommodation starting, keyword being starting, obviously at 23.75, which is the set government rate, which hasn't changed in years. 
But that filters down again, as I say, to a ridiculous amount in this day and age of $3.29. Now, other home operators have spoke up about this. There was a couple of ladies up in this general area. I think they were in the community care home program that had an article in the shoreline about it. And I do believe uh, some time ago on one of the news channels, there were some a couple of home operators, a couple of ladies again that were speaking of it. Now, I get no reply. I and I don't understand why the member for the area, although he did say to me one time, I'm the only one calling him about it. I don't know that you had to have a quorum to call your member, but anyway, the thing of it is. And I also one time spoke to the health critic himself. He was kind enough to call me back. He was going to look into it. Called uh, after some time, uh, not every week certainly, spoke to the lady there that answers the phone, and I never did get a call back from him ever again. What I'm trying to find out is why they're satisfied to have this go the way it is and not speak up about it and, and, and recognize that for $3.29 an hour to operate a personal care home and most importantly give the care to the seniors that are in your home. Understood. Uh, yeah, and unbelievable, the, yes. And the rate, maximum rate charge of long-term care, I think, is just shy of $3,000 a month. Uh, Boyd, I know Dave gave you the heads up. Yes, I appreciate you bringing the topic up. I'm going to sneak on one more before we run out of time. And I appreciate your time. I hope you get some response from somebody on it, Patty. And once again, thanks so much and all the best to you. Very same to you, boy. Take care. Bye-bye. You too now. Bye-bye. Uh, last word this morning goes to line number two, the PC member for Grand Falls, Windsor Buckins. That's Chris Tibbs. Chris, you're on the air. I don't want to get a minute, Patty, so yep. I'll be real quick. Okay. Uh, here in Grand Falls, Windsor, Patty, we are so very proud of our LGBTQ plus community uh, here in Grand Falls, Windsor. And uh, in a harsh, harsh world where you have little to no control over the issues and concerns so many, so many things out there. Uh, when it comes to inclusion, acceptance, and kindness, we have 100% control. Uh, Patty, we are doing a walk and a barbecue today. The walk starts at 3 p.m. here at the provincial building, and then the barbecue will follow at 4 p.m. afterwards from 4 to 6. Uh, so many, so much of the community has reached out to me and helped out with this event. I want to thank everybody so much. Uh, but the community support from Grand Falls, Windsor, to our LGBTQ plus community is very, very strong. We're here to let them know that. I appreciate this, Chris. You have had the last word, but thanks. Enjoy your Canada today, Patty. Bye-bye. Thanks, man. Same to you. Bye-bye. Uh, yes, please do uh, enjoy however you're going to commemorate Memorial Day tomorrow morning and then with some Canada Day celebrations. Uh, and I'm away for a couple of weeks here now, but big thanks to everyone who supports the program, all of the callers, listeners, emailers, tweeters. You are all right. And we will indeed pick up this conversation again on Monday morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy long weekend. Talk soon. Bye-bye.